Welcome to the ERMI Podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum. I'm the Chief Content Officer for ERMI and Captive.com. And on today's podcast, I'm excited to welcome Andy Hume to discuss common mistakes in setting up a captive and how to make your captive insurance program a success. Andy is Director of Underwriting at Strategic Risk Solutions, or SRS, and is responsible for developing underwriting capability and services in support of the firm's global management of its reinsurance and insurance clients and consulting practices. Andy was formerly the chief underwriting officer of a large insurance and reinsurance group owned by Octif, one of the world's largest construction groups. Welcome, Andy. You certainly have an interesting CV. I use that because you're from England or background or resume, but please share with our listeners more about your role within SRS and a little bit about your journey from working as a chief underwriting officer from one of the world's largest construction groups to working for one of the world's largest non-broker-owned captive management firms. You've kind of got an interesting journey, so please share with us. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, as you mentioned, I'm Director of Underwriting at SRS, and I think you kind of outlined that nicely for me. But really, kind of the work I do with SRS is a combination of captive management support, uh, so underwriting support within captive management engagements, and consulting across our, predominantly across our Bermudian and European businesses, but I do get involved across a whole range of different domiciles. And really within my, I've been fortunate to have a huge range of experiences across my career. So I do get to put into play some of the more interesting aspects of of my career that I've experienced and apply those to the more unusual requests that SRS sees. If I was to go back, I started as a commercial underwriter out of university, didn't really understand or, or know what underwriting is. And I've been really fortunate to have a number of unique opportunities along the way that have really allowed me to think about how insurance companies are structured, how insurance operations work together and and kind of what the flow of insurance is through a range of companies. And then as I as my career progressed and I moved into the captive arena, first interacting with captives from a commercial underwriting perspective, but then move into a practitioner in a manager and a consultant perspective. And then finally, as a captive owner, and as you say, I was, I was chief underwriting officer for Hawk Teeth's captives. It really gave me a, I believe, a unique insight of the different challenges and the different requirements that a captive has to be successful and operates under the uh, the various different requirements of all the stakeholders. So, really it's bringing that 20 odd years of experience to bear to support our clients on on their endeavors absolutely you've really kind of sat in a lot of the chairs of all the different perspectives that are brought into a forming a captive and and running one you kind of mentioned you didn't know what underwriting was when you first started can you provide a brief overview of what captive insurance is because there's people out there that don't know what it is and why it can be a valuable strategy for your business or a business. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I think a cap, from my perspective, a, a captive is an insurance company like any other insurance company. It's just owned by a non-insurance parent. So it's owned by a construction company for the benefit of that construction company, or it's owned by a manufacturing group for the benefit of that manufacturing group. But it's still an insurance company. It just has a limited purpose. And that, in a nutshell, is a captive. There's a variety of different terminology and different types of legal structures. But essentially, a captive is designed to provide a limited purpose insurance solution for its parents. And the reason that captives came about, from my perspective, is that commercial insurance is a bit of an imperfect solution. And so a captive is a way to enhance upon that. And the reason I say that commercial insurance is an imperfect solution is that it's really predicated on an asymmetry of information. And and the fundamental rules of, of insurance is that premiums of the many pay the losses of the few. And this underpins the law of large numbers, saying that if the population is sufficiently large, the result will more often than not graviate to the mean. So what this means in practice is that the best risks fund the worst risks within any given profile. So if you're a company that has a very good track record or a very good uh, loss experience, you're really, through your premiums, funding those companies that don't have the the same good practices that you, you would employ. And this is that's not an absolute truth, of course. There's a huge amount of nuance to insurance, and I'm, I'm massively oversimplifying. But but essentially, to my view, this is why there's a gap for captives because it means that if a company does have the uh, a strong risk management profile, and it may be able to find a more efficient way to fund their own risk, and that's essentially flipping the view of risk from an annual perspective to a multi-year perspective. And essentially what you're saying is that my one bad year is going to be funded by the preceding and following good years. And, and this can be a highly efficient endeavor. So it's not to say that all risks should be moved into a captive. I strongly believe that captives operate best in an ecosystem. I believe that a business has to feel the pain of poor its poor risk management. Otherwise, Risk management can get lazy or flabby and, and it, it doesn't work as efficiently. So there has to be some elements of pain from from risk. And equally, there are some risk profiles that are just too capital costly to be incurred within a captive setting. So if we think about some maybe terrorism risks or, or cat exposure, uh, catastrophic exposure, they they will never be of a, a risk profile that should sit within the captive. There's a much better solution for that. And that's the, the commercial world. So in, in my view, the perfect harmony is a strong deductible or self-insured retention uh, use of commercial insurance where the capital cost for that commercial insurance is cheaper and then a, a strong captive in the middle to operate between those two boundaries and, and really to kind of flow between them in, in different years, kind of understanding kind of where businesses maybe need a bit more pain to, to promote good risk practice and understanding where commercial pricing is. If it's soft, then you chase after the soft pricing. If it's hard, maybe the captive needs to deploy a little bit more. So there's a huge scope for captives to operate. Interesting. Any more on that? Well, I was just going to, I suppose the, the final point I would say around 
around captives is in terms of the value of of captives is that I think a lot of people talk about the benefits of captive and they talk about cost savings or cover enhancements. But I'm a strong believer that captives, the long term benefit of a captive is really a paradigm shift on mindsets. And it moves companies from being an insurance buyer to being a risk seller. I think captives create a great opportunity to understand isolate and transfer selected risk that the parent just can't retain on their own balance sheet, but keeping those risks that they can and, and, and that do sit within risk appetite within a, a vehicle that can provide a long-term structure. And really, that's my favorite aspect of captives is that ability to control and, and provide flexibility to, to parents to exert their captive where it is needed. And, and I believe that a strong, mature captive should hopefully have surplus capital so that when you need to flex up retentions and fill up a tower or maybe boot out an uncompliant underwriter, the capital that the captive has gives you that flexibility and it keeps everybody sharp. And then when markets are soft, not that that's a thing that we, we, we can see for a few good years, but when the markets go soft, the captive can withdraw the capacity for a rainier day. I think I'll stop there for now. All right. Well, what are the, some of the common challenges or mistakes that business have made when it comes to setting up or managing their captive insurance program? That's a good question. I, I think that I'm not sure this fits under the challenges or misconception, but again, I strongly believe that the, the manager's job is, first of all, a, a captive manager, insurance manager's job is to do no harm. So we need to come from a viewpoint that the captive has to fit within an insur- insurance structure with a neutral or negative impact. In theory, captives could write anything at any price, but the optics have to make sense for stakeholders, shareholders, regulator, risk manager. Otherwise, you're just going to hit roadblock after roadblock in, in terms of process. You know, you could run it for a couple of years and, and maybe it's a short term success, but you're never going to get longevity if the optics just don't work because someone's going to come and lock it in and just and can the project. So I, I think it's really important that from a, a manager's perspective we always go in with that viewpoint that first of all you have to have a neutral or positive impact on performance and that has to be a quick delivery for the captive to to work if you can't hit that quick delivery it's going to take a huge amount of buy-in it's not it's not impossible but the amount of buying the amount of people you need to get on board for a long-term vision for that i, I think it's a challenge and there's a, a quick segue I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why in Europe, it's hard to see group captives work because getting that buy-in and that sharing of data, that commitment of uh, upfront capital, expensive capital costs that we see in the EU, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see the progression to as many group captives in Europe. I think that challenge about that long-term vision and, and not being able to deliver some quick wins is a real difficulty and I think testament to why we don't see the, the volume of group captives in Europe. If we're going to talk about challenges, I think what I would say is that one of the challenges is you definitely is that it's hard to start a multi-line captive. There's this belief that captives need to start as monoline or need to start small. And, and I think that's really good advice. And I would certainly caution kind of running too much risk at the beginning not only because of the cost and, and the time it takes, but 
I think captive owners need to become accustomed to formal risk retention. Pre-captive risk is either transferred or it sits under the balance sheet and it perhaps doesn't get the visibility it needs. But a captive makes risk very, very visible. So if you're setting up a captive, you really don't want to blow your limits in year one and then go, have to go back to the parent for recapitalization. It's a really challenging look for everybody involved. So I think that there is that kind of idea that you have to start small, you have to start monoline. But all that said, if the market can't support you and you really need to find an alternative way, the captive, there are ways to, to shortcut the process with a captive. And, and the, the setup process of starting small monoline, it's not a pres- prescribed process. If you can get sufficient capital into the vehicle, I think a captive can solve a lot of challenges. Great. In your experience, what are the key factors that determine whether a captive insurance program is going to be successful or not? I think there might be the need for it, right? You're struggling because it's a hard market. You might want to put it in there, but what makes it feasible or successful? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one thing we're seeing right now is that there is a lot of interest for captives or alternative risk transfer vehicles because of the hard market and, and the challenges that they are creating in, in this space. I, I think the definitions of success vary. And again, I think from a, from a good captive perspective, the definitions of what success should look like should vary for a captive. I think in the short term, we're talking about some element of profitability, maybe some growth in, in limits. They should be the, the challenges and, and the focuses of delivery from, from a, a good captive. But if we're talking about a, a mature captive, I would expect though the mature captives to be really getting instrumental in in support of a, a corporate. I think I've got a bit of a romantic view of kind of what insurance should be, and I strongly believe that insurance is a, a business enabler. And similarly, from a captive point of view, I think that's where the captive really should be able to help a company is by enabling it to grow its core businesses. So supporting the, the commercial operations and, and really going above and beyond what is available within the commercial market to support properly the, the risks, the real business risks that a corporate should, uh, should and does take every day. So I think they kind of Success markers will vary, but but as I say, certainly in the short term, a, a little bit of profit, capital growth, probably more, the, the probably the same thing, but kind of that growth of capital and surplus, being able to grow the, the, the lines of business in the captive either as a single retention on a single line or uh, writing multi-line business and diversifying portfolios. I would think that they are the success points for an embryonic captive, and then once a captive really becomes embedded in the insurance programs, has a good, diverse platform to build from, then it's looking at the captive to say, okay, how can you help me manage my business better? How how can I be a business enabler? Excellent. So we touched on this a little bit before, but what should a business consider when deciding whether to establish their own captive insurance company? or participate in a group captive? 
I think this is so my experience of grid captives is limited and I know they, they work very well in in the US, less so uh, across Europe. And, and we have seen recent growth in some mutuals, which, which you know, are not group captives, but similar, a similar logic to a group captive. So recently in Belgium, we saw the launch of Miris, the cyber mutual. Uh, but I, I think certainly kind of one of the founding points from a group perspective is, is there a common challenge that can benefit from sharing of risk. So that would probably be looking at external factors, a dearth of capacity in the market or a complete a complete absence of capacity for the market. So maybe we might see some challenges or some opportunities, sorry, for captives in and around some ESG impacted companies. So we've seen thermal coal as a market where the commercial insurers are really looking to exit and and there is still an insurance requirements for those industries so maybe there's group opportunities there but first of all it's finding those common interests both from a a reason to buy the insurance and then you also need homogeneity of of the insured so you need some elements of similarity between between those uh, those parties i think from a group perspective, if, if I was looking to, to join a group captive as opposed to my own captive, I'd be really looking to make sure that everybody within that group is bringing a similar level of risk. So doctors, practitioners, people like that, you can understand what the risk exposure is because they're all very similar from a a large corporate perspective, it, I think it's much harder to understand whether or not the the risk is truly homogenous going into that group uh, group setup. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. Hmm. Interesting. I have another common misconception or mistake for captives uh, are is one size fits all. Could you just share an example of how SRS has worked with businesses to identify and implement unique or tailored solutions through captive insurance? I just want to get an example out there, a real-life example. Sure. So, first of all, there's a, a well-traveled saying now that if you've seen one captive, you've seen one captive. And I think that's probably a, as close a truism as you are going to get in the insurance industry. So definitely captives are, are not one-size-fits-all. Absolutely shouldn't be one-size-fits-all. The, the rationale for setting up captives varies from company to company. Some companies will want to go in there and with a, a pure focus to develop and enhance their risk management capabilities. Right now, we're seeing a lot of companies that are looking just to respond to the challenges of a hard market. And so their reasons to, to set up a captive are wholly external to their business. They've just faced the challenging market. Back in 2021, we saw a lot of interest for DNO where companies couldn't get DNO. And that's probably... That's probably an area that I can talk about. We, we saw a number of affected industries that, so particularly, well, we saw, first of all, country specific. So the US market and the Australian market were really hit from a DNO perspective. They found DNO capacities were 
halving and prices were doubling. So from a, a purchasing point of view, it was taking a lot of capacity or a lot of capacity providers to fill up a tower and, and costs were going up at ridiculous rates or crazy rates for sure. And so companies were looking for DNO, including side A, so including the director's indemnities to, to be provided through a captive. So common logic is that captives shouldn't write DNO risks, side A risks, because there's a conflict of interest. You've got circularity of funding issues. You've got ring fencing issues on, on funds. So if there's a, an insolvency at the parent, then the captive in theory, is going to be insolvent too, unless the insolvent practitioner takes a view on it. So you've got all of these challenges. And SRS, certainly we provided a number of side A DNO solutions to our corporates using cell facilities. So a, a different type of captive to a wholly owned captive, a rental vehicle that we were able to provide. They were very heavily capitalized programs, almost exclusively fully funded programs. So committing a lot of capital, a lot of cash in, into these structures. But it gave, and it, and it wasn't a perfect solution either. It, it was a subpar solution to buying insurance. But if you can't buy insurance, it's it's a better solution than having nothing. So really, that uh, it was the best solution that was available, given the, the limitations and, and the challenges. Uh, but it helped corporates get out of a hole where the commercial market had effectively uh, left them in, in quite a challenging position. Great. Andy, we have time for really just one last question. So I know there's a lot more that we might want to cover, but do you have an interesting, you know, it's interesting to hear about industries developing out-of-the-box solutions through captives. Can you elaborate on uh, specific examples or, or share with us anything else you think our listeners should know about captives? Sure. So I don't genuinely believe that the captive industry comes up with out of the box solutions. And, and I, I say that having just given an example where there was a bit of an out of, out of the box solution, but even, even in those cases, each time the, the demand and the ask and, and sometimes the solution had nuances or, or differences. But I think probably what underpins it and kind of the message I would give is that captives are a, a hugely flexible vehicle that allows you to deal with a whole range of challenges. They're, they're not absolutely easy to set up, but once they are established and, and they're operating to the needs of the parents, they give a, huge, a, a ton of flexibility in order to become more resilient to insurance challenges as the markets ebb and flow. I mentioned earlier at the outset that captives are an important part of a, a an ecosystem, and they are part of an ecosystem. They can't be an island on their own. They can't just sit and, and ignore what's going on within the parents and definitely can't ignore what's going on in the commercial world. They have to ebb and flow with the challenges, in particularly in the commercial market, and, and really provide support around the commercial market. And I think that Captive managers like SRS, our role is to really drive solutions to the client's problems and, and understand what those problems are and then understand the both the, the opportunities and the limitations where the captive can support and, and provide an answer to 
corporate and their insurance structures. Interesting. All right. One last bonus question for our listeners, because you're from the UK. What are some of the regulatory challenges that business businesses may face when implementing captive solutions, especially in Europe and in the UK? And how does SRS help navigate and address the challenges to ensure compliance and efficiency? Talking the bit, the big captives here. Yeah. No, I understood. So I think that the recent challenge is solvency. If we're talking Europe, definitely solvency and substance when we're talking the offshore world. They, to me, have been the two biggest challenges that have changed captive operations. And and I think I was going to say, I think, in a good way, I, I have some. My personal thoughts on solvency is that maybe solvency for captives is missing the initial understanding that captives are a limited purpose endeavor. They're really there to support their parents. And I think maybe the solvency requirements can be quite challenging for, for captives. But the captive is an insurance company, nevertheless, and, and it needs to operate within the same framework as any other insurance company. I think going forward, the on a similar theme, I think the biggest challenge is going to be around governance. And I, I believe that we're going to start to see increased need for captives to operate as a true insurance company. So the activities of a captive will be increasingly scrutinized to make sure that not only the substance is appropriate, the solvency is appropriate, but the decision-making from the board, the input from the management is appropriate and in line with the expectations of an insurance company. And I think that's where a, a good insurance manager really should be on the ball in providing the government support, the underwriting support, if I, if I put a, a plug for my services. But all these operations of running an insurance company for a captive, they are outsourced. And so you really need, from a captive owner's perspective, you really need to make sure that your, your captive insurance manager is providing best in class insurance management services because I, I think the, the the focus from a, a regulatory perspective to ensure that underwriting decisions are made appropriately, that the board truly understands why risks are are brought into a captive. I think these are going to be the, the challenges of the future in the same way that solvency and substance have been the challenges of the last 10 years. Andy, I think you nailed it, helping our listeners understand some of the common challenges, but even some of the common mistakes when setting up a captive. So thank you very much for joining us today. And to all our listeners, thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can get more of them at captive.com and also just great answers about captives in general. So thanks for listening.